Here we go. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. Um, I'm Robert Fortress Fortney. I'm a former editor at Muscle Mag International, uh, former bodybuilder, and current strength athlete. And I'm Charles Staley. I'm creator of Escalating Density Training, author of Muscle Logic, and I'm a competitive master's level weightlifter. Um, Phil Stevens, uh, strength coach with Staley Training Systems, also a uh, national record holding powerlifter, strongman competitor, and founder of liftforhope.org. Soon to be creator of a new up and coming golf training that's going to revolutionize the, the industry. <laughs> and re- revolutions are not always a good thing, so I'll just I'll just paraphrase <laughs> it with that. I mean, sometimes they're uh, a negative thing, but uh, you know that, that'll be that'll that'll remain to be seen. Change is good. That's the ticket I'm running on. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Well, uh, for for all you folks listening in, uh, we are without a guest today, so. Uh, uh, we're 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 going to get straight into our topic, but uh, we have a lot of uh, cool guests uh, hooked up for uh, uh, future shows, including Tom Benuto, and uh, we've got a bunch of names in the uh, in the hopper for that. But uh, boy, Phil, it seems too early to uh, throw the theme music on already, but I guess we should. Okay, all right, here we go. Cool. Well, listen, uh, our topic uh, today was inspired by a conversation with one of our clients the other day at uh, Bed and Barbell, and that, that topic is training for health and longevity versus training for performance or training to be elite. And there really is a, a big difference, although, um, you know, at, at a superficial view, it might not look that different uh, because, uh, for, exa- for example, you might squat for both of those objectives, but the, the manner in which you squat and the loading that you apply to those squats uh, can be uh, pretty different in both of those cases. Uh, but before we start, I, w- I want to kind of clarify that when we're talking about uh, the possible downside of, of very heavy training today, uh, which is required uh, if, if you want to go beyond merely uh, health and performance, uh, or, or health and longevity and, and into the realms of uh, elite performance. We're not talking about catastrophic acute type injuries. I mean, you can be an elite level power lifter or Olympic lifter or, you know, you can, you can be involved in a lot of sports and, and, and not necessarily suffer an acute injury where you, you know, you, you know, you get a bar, uh, uh, dropping on you or, you know, you avulse a, a a peck right off the bone or whatever. I think those types of things are somewhat more rare and they're more avoidable. What is perhaps not avoidable if you're training for elite performance are the chronic, uh, mostly orthopedic types of injuries, all the itises, the tendonitises and the tendinosises and the bursitises and the arthritis. And, and so 
I think that's kind of what we're really uh, discussing today. So to kick that off, I'm going to give you kind of one of my little sayings that I uh, am fond of repeating for my clients, which is that in order to develop a particular muscle, in order to train a muscle, uh, you, you can't avoid putting stress on the corresponding joint. So if, uh, if for whatever reason you have a, a desire to have uh, incredibly strong or incredibly large quadriceps, for example, there really is no way to do that without putting a lot of chronic stress on the knee. There's just no way to train that muscle without the, the, without the joint that the, that muscle is attached to. So, you know, if you're training for longevity, if you're training purely for health, um, sure, you might squat, for example. In fact, I think you should squat. I think that's arguably one of the most functional things you could do. I think that'll keep you from, uh, you know, falling down the stairs and breaking your hip when you're 80 years old, and uh, it helps you get on and off of the toilet and in and out of the car, and, you know, clearly a very functional thing. But the loads uh, and the frequencies and the intensities that you would use in those squats, I, I think, or are going to be significantly less than somebody who wants to set a world record in the squat. And, um, uh, you know, a, a corresponding idea here is that um, almost any sport, if pursued recreationally, will probably improve your health. But that same sport uh, pursued to elite levels probably will... Uh, impair your health long term i mean if you if you just think about somebody training uh, i'll get out of the, the i'll get out of the realm of weightlifting for a moment imagine somebody who trains to be an elite level performer uh in the triathlon and think about all the pounding uh with all the miles that you have to run every week uh, and the swimming is probably the, the gentlest of the three uh, activities but you know between the 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 biking and the uh the running clearly that will take a long term toll on you and and, uh, boy, I, I don't know how some of the, uh, I don't know, if you look at some of these uh, uh, record-holding triathletes, Dave Scott comes to mind, and some of these guys as they get into their 60s and 70s, you know, I think I think it's likely that, that you're going to end up being kind of crippled up. And it's it's not universal. And there are some people who, who get through the process relatively unscathed. But I think it's important that whenever you are training for elite performance, there is a price to be paid, and, and it's important for trainers and coaches who have clients to make sure that they make it clear right at the outset that, you know, if you've got a 60-year-old guy and he, he wants to set a master's uh, age record in the deadlift, uh, it might be that we can accomplish that goal, but uh, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your goal is, is just to be healthy, uh, that might not be the, the, first, uh, the first route that you'd take, so... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, human beings have got such a huge um, scope of what we're capable of um, in all manners, whether it be anaerobic, aerobic, or whatever. But, I mean, certainly when you're pushing um, yourself athletically to such a maximum in in one specific area, I mean, you're 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 kind of like redlining the, red, the car. And the more you do that, the more you're pushing yourself towards the potential that you you will suffer some sort of breakdown. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things where it has to be a reality that anybody who wants to pursue that kind of thing has to has to face up with. I mean, I think it goes back to the, the old saying. I mean, uh, 
here in America, we always think if if a little of something is good, then a whole lot of it's great, and it just doesn't end up that way. Anything in excess, even things that are good for you, you know, have negatives. I mean, it goes back to bodybuilding, and I mean, this plays right into the misconceptions you get in media and today of these ultra lean and ripped people walking around, and that's that's photo day. That's not year round, and the conception Very good is point. just people. In the general populace, are get this misconception that they can walk around like that every day, and that that is the pinnacle of health and longevity. And it's not; those people are at their worst. And when when you're under a, a, a squat bar with seven, eight, nine, a thousand pounds, you know it's it's not doing your knees and joints any good. I mean, it's but at the same time the strength that you acquire does do you some good. good and and yeah. and that's the tricky part of this conversation isn't it because um on the one hand uh, a joke that Phil and I kind of uh, a little inside joke that we share and Rob I'm sure you've had similar conversations with people is you know people always remark to me that I you know I walk around bitching about my knees or whatever but at the same time even though I'm moaning and bitching about my knees I I can I can still do far more than my 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 contemporaries who don't train even with the injury. So even though on the one hand I have arguably some uh, some itises that have accrued over years of training, I'm still far more functional and I have far more physical margin than most of my contemporaries who don't train. Yeah, that's a great point. That's, yeah, that's I mean that's one of the topics that came up with with uh, our client the other night. You know, it was like, yeah, your pain may not get better, but you know your strength will. And, you know, if you can barely do a body weight squat and you have arthritis and it's painful and you work up and get the strength higher, yeah, you may still have pains, but lifting your body will be easy. So the perceived pain will maybe be the same, but life is easier. And, then, you know, just after that talk, I went and looked up studies and, you know, study after study on, on rheumatoid arthritis sufferers. They had them, you know, with control groups and the people, there was no change in their pain after 8 to 12 weeks of of resistance training, but, you know, what did change was their strength and their endurance and, and all that. The the disease didn't change, but what they were able to do was, so their margin you know, was larger. <laughs> very interesting that you should bring that up because uh, I remember attending a lecture from the late Dr. Mel Siff, and some of our listeners will be familiar with that name. And one of the points that he used to always like to bring up is that many times um, – uh, when you injure yourself doing an exercise, it's that very same exercise oftentimes that's the best rehabilitative exercise to, to heal that injury ultimately. Mm. You know, but it's, it's ultimately how you, uh, how you apply it. Rob, I wanted to ask you because you have, uh, you've had over your career a lot of access to, uh, elite level bodybuilders. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of those come to mind, people that are many years past retirement and guys that are maybe in their 50s, 60s, or, or older than that. What's what's your impression of how they're faring compared to maybe somebody who doesn't train? I just uh, uh, I would say that the most often comment I hear from from guys that I have spoken with who are, you know, um, um, retired after, like you say, many years of being either professional or top-level amateurs, they... They tend to just be stiff. Um, I remember hearing from uh, Greg Zulak one time, editor-in-chief at Muscle Mag, that he once um, was quite close with Sergio Oliva, who, of course, was uh, a Mr. one of the first Mr. Olympias in the late 60s. And 
he said that he for him to in in order for him to squat towards actually the end of his career when he actually was in his 40s um i think it was like we're talking like the 84 85 mr olympia kind of time um it would take him a good half an hour 40 minutes to kind of loosen up enough that he could get to a point where he could squat properly um yeah but that was it he just took him a lot longer to kind of loosen up and warm up um However, of course, the flip side is he can squat properly. <laughs> Whereas course, people yeah. who don't train, like they may have no injuries at all, but they cannot squat properly. So, you know, this is the tricky, this is what makes this conversation tricky. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys agree with this. Certainly, in my observations, I've seen that people who do have the genetic capacity and the, the willingness to use what's necessary to become a professional bodybuilder, um, those people, generally speaking, never need to go more than three or four plates on the squat anyway, even if they do squat. Um, I've seen hugely developed legs that were achieved with nothing more than 315, 405 on the squat. I mean, when you're looking at guys who are squatting, well, 500, 600, 700 pounds, those are, those are weights that very, very, very rarely need to be used in order to develop world-class legs. I agree again, with that. Again, if you have the genetic capacity to be that. I mean, I've seen... Guys, like I said, again, with like titanic legs that never go over 405, 450 on the squat. And um, so, I mean, there's something to be said for that, that when you get to that, I mean, look at when you're looking at somebody who's squatting seven, eight, nine hundred pounds, I mean, they're certainly not moving the weight in a way that really is the most conducive towards development anyway. Sure, sure, um, sure. Which makes, when you're talking about a guy like Tom Platts, it makes him all the more of, of a freak because he did squat in a very Olympic style. Um, yep. rather than power style, and he was still able to use five, six hundred pounds for you know bodybuilding type repetition ranges. So, um, but yeah, generally speaking, I mean, when I could remember even guys like Paul DeMeo and that they never never squat more than about four plates aside. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued that you brought up the the concept of stiffness because uh, one of my little uh, pet pet uh, it's not a pet peeve, but just one of my little uh, mysteries in life is that. You know, I'm 49, I'll be 50 in November, and I have stiffness. And uh, I'm amazed that I just never see studies on this. I never see discussion about stiffness. And um, the reason I think uh, it's warranted is because it is a distinctly different feeling than soreness or just abject pain. I mean, it's its, its own distinct entity. And uh, if anybody listening has ever seen studies on stiffness, uh, as relating to you know uh, you know getting older and you've got a long training history, I would love to uh, would love to hear that because uh, I have stiffness and it's particularly in the morning you know and uh, it's it's not soreness you know it's it's a different entity. Oh yeah, I mean, and it it almost isn't the same thing as what you would normally consider to be something like um, lack of flexibility either. It's more of a need to discomfort. No, it's warm. not. Yeah, so um I don't know if it's micro adhesions in your tissues or uh maybe lack of synovial fluid in your joints when you wake up in the morning or or what it is, but uh I plead ignorance. Um uh, it's not something I really <laughs> understand, but it's something that I definitely have. Oh yeah, I think we all live it. I mean, I'm stiff as a stiff as a board on many days and like you were you were talking about Sergio taking 30 45 minutes warm up. I mean, that's I'm 10 years Fifteen years younger than he was then, and I mean that's that's my routine, you know, to get going. And it's just, I think a lot of this soreness and whatnot comes from like we were talking to again our client the other night, and you know he was telling us how stiff he was, and now he's not so stiff, and we're using much larger loads. But what he was doing before was a 
it was a pr- primarily a bodybuilding routine. And he, at the age of 65 plus, he's walking in there and not warming up. You know, he may do five minutes on the cycle, and then okay, it's the day to do 225 for three sets of 10 on bench press. So you just slap 225 on and go. You know, and he's wondering why he's stiff. You know, it's like, man, I, I, you know, I'm deadlifting 700 pounds. I start out with the bar. You know, you know, you know I want to, um, yeah, great point. And I want to give, I want to give all the listeners a tip uh, that comes from an article that I just published today on uh, CharlesStaley.com on our uh, weekly newsletter, and it's called My Ten Best Injury Management Tips. And uh, one of those tips is called uh, sneaking in through the back door. And uh, what that simply means is that if you have a problem area, in other words, if you tend to really have stiffness issues in a particular body region, uh, and let's say it's your knees, um, you might find that, uh, and, 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 and what's going to, the, the problem typically is that corresponds with your main exercise. So I'll give you an example for me. Uh, I compete in master's level Olympic weightlifting, and uh Wonder of wonder, that takes a toll on your knees because you're doing full snatches and full clean and jerks, and that requires not only very deep squats but kind of ballistic squats where you kind of fall and slam into the squat. So it's actually even more um, uh, insulting to the joint than than a normal deep squat. And uh, it does take me to to get to maybe 90% of my best uh, snatch, Uh, you know, from the moment I uh, touch a bar, I mean, that takes me 20, 25 minutes or so. Uh, however, uh, and, and normally that's your competitive exercise, so, of course, you normally will do that first according to established uh, training principles. But interestingly enough, if you train some other region of your body first, for instance, if I start my workout with assistance exercises that might involve uh, push presses or chins or who knows what it is, if I then go to snatches, those exercises that I just did basically uh, become a, a general warm-up for my knees, and I'll find that I can get to the top weight in the snatch much faster. So right. that's a little yeah. bit of a, an iconoclastic, uh, counterintuitive approach. But, uh, you know, I don't know, if you're a power lifter and your shoulders uh, just kill the hell out of you, and they take a long time to uh, to get warmed up. Don't start off benching, even if that is the most important thing on your menu. Start off with something else, and let that be the the general warm up for the bench. And I think you'll uh, you might find it to be a good strategy. Absolutely, I find that I, what exactly you just said there is is I've found many times, specifically with squats, that if I actually just for a change of pace once in a while, I I decide okay, I'm going to do everything backwards. And actually end with squats. Yeah. Sometimes it's actually the, f- the first initial workouts doing that type of thing might um, yield less than impressive results for yourself because, because just because you're not used to it. But it's it's amazing to me how quickly your body adapts to that, and that you will be squatting last and still using substantial poundages based on what yes. your your bests are. So yeah, because you feel better. Absolutely. You know, you might be a, you might be a little tired from the workout, but because you feel better than you usually do. You'll, that'll kind of amp up your motivation uh, to, to put some plates on the bar. So uh, uh, just something for all you guys to try. I'd like to make a little bit of a, a comment here about when we're talking about the differences between longevity and training for health versus, you know, for absolute performance. That something I always say about that is, you know, um, you can be, a, you know, a, what was the jack of all trades but a master of none. 
Um, and, and that largely has. Everybody still there? Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, when you when you want to again, because we're talking about weight training and so forth, if you want to be the best strength athlete you can be, you almost to a certain degree have to kind of cut away the other attributes of health in order Absolutely. to do that. And I've always said, um, and back when I trained people, I used to say this too. You know, usually the healthiest people, healthiest um, as far as you know, people that you'd be most um, most likely to kind of go the distance as far as living long lives with you know minimal problems are the people who do a little bit of everything you know but don't focus too much on one thing absolutely um, so you know it's the person who you know the, the guy on the weekend that goes and plays hockey and then during the week he might hit the gym a couple of times and hit some weights you know moderately um you know goes for a jog once in a while um these these are the people who generally speaking i would say are the healthiest people i would say when you're looking at you know, top performance athletes, whether it be, you know, in the Olympics or otherwise, you're probably looking at people who, in that framework, aren't really truly that healthy because they've taken one attribute of health and they've just pushed it to the absolute max. A lot of specialization. Yeah. So, Phil, did I ever show you my little paperclip uh, analogy? No. I'm surprised that you've been with me almost a year and a half and you've never seen that, but uh, I guess we haven't had uh, reason to break it out, but... Uh, uh, what I'll, uh, as my way of explaining overuse injuries to athletes, what I'll do is I'll pull out a paper clip, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll straighten it out, and then I'll 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 pinch it on one end, and I'll just repeatedly, you know, bend it back and forth, and I'll just say bench press, bench press, bench press, bench press until it breaks, <laughs> you know, and then I'll take out another paper clip and straighten it out, and then on one end I'll pinch it and bend it back and forth and say bench press. Then I'll grab it on another and another area and uh, bend it back and forth and say uh, incline dumbbell bench press. And then I'll grab it somewhere else and bend it and say dips. And the point is is that, you know, there are ways to train uh, in a way that, that is sparing of the joints. And if you just repeat a heavy loaded drill over and over and over and over, uh, you're, you're going to wear it out, you know, and that's that's the essence of an overuse injury. But, you know, you're bringing, bringing up a good topic, and this kind of comes back to something you said earlier, too, that, you know, it's form becomes function, and you know, you your body adapts and basically becomes what what it is that you want it to do. Um, so while while there is you know the, the whole repetitive strain injuries and these types of things, there is something to be said for just you know developing other attributes in in that mechanical framework that kind of you know lends itself also to longevity and kind of a more you know um, ruggedness of the physique. So it it really is kind of a yin yang thing when you're talking about um, you know the benefit to, you know, the harm that's done. Uh, you wear some things out, but you also, you know, invigorate and kind of, you know, yes, make make better other attributes. So, I mean, you, you have to wonder sometimes whether these things don't kind of, uh, you know, equal out on uh, at the end, up and above somebody who's just an average person who does nothing. So Oh, yeah. I mean, and then you see, like, studies with the elderly where, you know, people say, oh, you know, resistance training, you're going to wear your joints out, beat your back up, and this and that. And it's like, yeah, but... I'm also going to build muscle muscle and the the bone density of just loading the spine, you know, because like Charles was saying, you're not just exerting force on muscle. You're exerting force on, on joints and tendons and bones, and it forces those things to, to get stronger if you consistently do that. And, I mean, don't go insane about it, but, you know, honestly, from, from people I've talked to that have been in any kind of game, for for a duration of time, usually it's 
it's your your weightlifters that kind of feel the best if they weren't the the type A personalities that like took it to the limit. But I mean, when you get down to recreational lifters, or compared to say a recreational runner, I mean, most of those guys that that ran a lot are are tore up. You know, you see a lot of knees, feet, shins, and you know, even their bone density has dropped compared to others, and a lot of arthritic problems. And compared to somebody that took up resistance training as their their mainstay, it's 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 much actually easier on the joints and and everything else. And it, it brings up the, the muscular structure of the body, and they're, they're stronger. They have a higher metabolism through life. They, they have bone structure and you know less osteoporosis and whatnot. Well, that's a good point. And I mean, you also have to. I mean, look at. I think. The reasons why this happens with people like runners and so forth is just the impact. Yeah. I mean, as difficult it is and as stressful it is on the torquing of the joints and so forth when you're doing high-level weight training, um, there really is not much impact. Yeah. So, I mean, that might that might be the difference right there. So. And that's, I mean, that's where I think you, you know, what you said about, you know, everybody doing a, I guess, for general health, maybe take up more of a, a cross-training type of thing. Where maybe yeah. you go hiking, maybe you go rowing, and then you lift, and then you play basketball, and just be kind of active, you know. Well, I mean, you know, even going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, a lot of these top pros who, if you have the genetics to be that, you wouldn't, you know, you don't really necessarily need to go over three or four more plates for squats. I mean, let's be realistic here. If you're actually squatting properly, you know, three or four plates, I mean, that that still makes you a monstrously strong individual compared to the average person. Oh yeah. Um. So I mean, and you're talking about a huge spread there between 315 and somebody who's you know putting seven, eight hundred, nine hundred pounds on the squat. I mean, that's a massive difference. But truthfully, from from an idea, you know, from an ideal standpoint of somebody who you d- just wants to be, you know, very, very fit and very rugged and have a lot of vigor and so forth. I mean, really, squatting 315 for you know two or three sets of eight to ten properly with good depth and good control and good. I mean that that. That right there signals a person who really is just head and shoulders above the average person. No, no. Oh, yeah, how many okay. people do you see in the gym that actually do that? I mean, people talk uh, about it and everybody hears about, I mean, how many people do you hear, oh, this guy squats this, guy, this guy squats that. But, I mean, truly, how many people do you actually see doing that? There really isn't a lot. No. You know, and these magazines per- perpetuate the, you know, the, the myth that there's, you know, more people than there are actually doing these things, you know, because they lie. They don't know what they're talking about. They're doing half squats. They're not doing things properly. Um, well, you know, and it's worth remembering too, and, and it's sometimes uh, easy to lose track of this. Anytime you're talking about training, you're already in a huge minority. I mean, the overwhelming majority of adults, let's just say here in North America, do not exercise or train or anything along those lines at all. No. Yeah, I mean, I'd say if, if you're even if you're even squatting body weight, you're you're in the one percentile. I mean, of course, you know. Simply, anything over that, you're getting into, you know, you're, you're almost elite, you know, by a, a certain this, definition. This is what I always try to, uh, you know, put upon young people and, you know, rookie trainers, is, you know, because they, they do get this mixed, rea- you know, idea of, this wrong re- idea of what it is that, you know, constitutes somebody being, you know, very powerful and very strong. And the conditions for somebody to squat a seven, eight, nine hundred, thousand pound squat, the conditions are so specific and so kind of outside the realm of I mean there's a big difference between how somebody you know, somebody like Platt used to squat, you know, four or five for fifteen, twenty reps or whatever it is, you know, 
in the style he used and circumstances he was doing versus somebody who was going in and hitting a rep, you know, in a meet at 850 pounds. I mean, the, the situation is so different that it's not really even comp- worth comparing. I mean, it's, it's from a strength standpoint because, you know, I think you know where I'm going with that. But Yeah, uh, you know, Rob, I wanted to pick up, too, on, on your comment you made earlier about form versus function. We were uh, – I just had a, a, a longtime client of mine, uh, Joe Sennett, who was a former national-level Olympic weightlifter, stay at uh, Ben Barbell with his kids for – um, about a week, and uh, we were reminiscing about uh, his dad, uh, Sam Sennett, who um, we were we were actually recollecting a specific uh, workout he did one time where he was squatting, and, you know, I think at the time he was about 60 years old, my God, he had knee surgery and back surgery and all sorts mm-hmm. of stuff, and the guy can hardly walk properly. Uh, and, but anyway, sure enough, I mean, it took him about an hour, but he worked up to a 405 squat, and it was done properly, and it was done to below parallel, and uh, I'll tell you what, man, it took him about a half an hour after he finished that squat to get his breath back, and uh, he probably wasn't walking very good for about two weeks. But the funny thing is, he could still do it. Uh, probably couldn't yeah. do much of it, anything else physically, but he could still do that. <laughs> and <laughs> well, and no, I, think we all, I think we all know older lifters, or, or probably athletes in our sports, who can still do their specialty, although it might take them forever to get there and it might take a huge toll, but they can still do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. As you get older, and you as as you're well, I mean, I've, I've always said, and Lonnie and I um, talk about this a lot, that you actually become more of a you know a, a danger to yourself the the better you become at what you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's probably um, true. And, and the thing is, it's kind of this weird conundrum where, you know, as you get closer and closer to you know you know your your true potential, that's all just as you were saying earlier, Charles. That's all just you know a mile mileage on on the vehicle. So why yeah, is the, miles on the chassis, man? Well, it is. So while the engine is getting you know more and more powerful and you have more and more horsepower, the chassis is get, is you know becoming more and more beat up. So you see these guys who are in like you know um, powerlifting competitions like the Mountaineer Cup and that you get all these kind of old grizzled guys who are fifty years old, sixty years old, and they can move monstrous amounts of weight. But I mean the battle scars and the miles on their body is huge. Oh yeah, I mean you see someone walk. Well, hell, you see me walking, it looks painful. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> Not to mention your golf swing, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's, and that's, I think, part of the huge misconception people have. They're like, man, if I could do that, I'd feel great. And no, I mean, you talk to most elite-level athletes, and they're all dealing with great amounts of pain yeah. to do what they do, you know, and... You know, you. I don't care if it's NFL. I mean, there's a reason why these guys are are riddled with injury when they retire. They are playing through just horrid amounts of pain. Well, what did it once said? I once heard. I think it was Ed Cohn who once said, or somebody said, you know, that the number one factor to succeeding is is to keep minimum to um, you know your injuries to such a degree that you can keep training. So, really, truly, what you're saying, Phil, is absolutely correct. I mean, these people, you know, I mean, you're constantly battling with aches and pains, constantly. I mean, and that's your body signaling to you that you're doing something that's pretty extreme. But, I mean, you just can't stop and just say, okay, well, I'll take the next four four months off. You can't always do that. So you're you're constantly trying to manage it. Um, And as Charles says, oftentimes you're trying to rehab things with the very exercise that actually inflicted the damage in the first place. 
So it's it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, Phil, any any questions from listeners uh, on this topic? I just thought I would see if. Uh... Am I still here with you guys? I'm here, yeah. Oh, I'm hearing the little static there. Oh, Phil? There yeah, we go. sorry. My phone oh, died okay. for like three seconds. I was switching phones while you guys were talking, trying to do it seamlessly. Now, see, look at this. Even in all the pain that Phil's in, look how fast he was. I'm like a freaking... He's a gazelle. <laughs> he's like a 265-pound gazelle. With People have used that. People have used that to uh, define me many times. I'm mm-hmm, much more sure. like I know. It's the first thing I think of when I think of you. Uh, so uh, I don't know if you heard my question. I was just asking if we had any uh, any uh, questions or comments from uh, oh, listeners geez. on the topic. And uh, while he's uh, tracking that down, maybe a couple of take-home points are in order here. If, 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 if you're somebody who is exercising or working out or training or whatever you want to call all this stuff that we do, I think first and foremost, it's just... First of all, important to understand that there is a distinction between training to be healthy and to be, quote, fit and to have longevity and to have an active life when you're 70, 80, 90, 100 years old and pursuing some sort of a higher than average standard in in any type of sport, whether it's an aerobic sport or an anaerobic sport or whatever it is that, that, that you're interested in. So the first thing is, Make sure you have an appreciation that there is that distinction. And then once once you understand that distinction, um, we're not saying here that if you're pursuing elite-level performance that you necessarily have to jeopardize your health. I don't think that's what we're saying. No. But we are saying that there are risks that you are taking on. And uh, uh, as... Uh, it, it, and... Uh, I just uh, sorry about that. I was just distracted by uh, an unusual happening in my uh, home, which uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll leave uh, undisclosed. But uh, <laughs> but it's just important to realize that you know there are just risks that you're taking, and and any time you're pursuing elite level performance in in in, in any uh, in any realm of life, there are risks. If you want to be a Donald Trump. Uh, you know, there are, there are rewards, but there are risks. He's had multiple bankruptcies. Um, if you want to rise to elite levels in politics, there are risks. There are people who, who may want to assassinate you. So, um, I, I guess this comes down kind of to the old adage that, uh, uh, in order to get the reward, you have to be willing to take a risk. But hopefully, it's an intelligent risk and it's, it's a risk that's been thought through and, and not been taken just uh, impulsively. So uh, those are my thoughts on that. Well, further further to what you're saying, just kind of close out my opinions on these types of things. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to look at it when you when you embark on exercise or a workout reg- regime or so forth or an athletic endeavor. You have to um, endeavor to find out what it is that's drawing you to it. Are you going for it because you want to are you taking up weight training, for instance, because you want to maximize the strength or because you're doing it for health or you're doing it because you just like to, you know, um, engage in some sort of physical activity? I mean, I have a brother-in-law who does a little bit of everything, and he, he loves it for the, the sporting attribute of it versus, you know, trying to develop maximal strength or maximal cardiovascular, you know, endurance or whatever. Whatever He just likes to go out and do it and engage himself. Um 
So you have to, you know, I mean, let's face it, guys who are into maximizing a specific health attribute, whether, again, cardio or strength or so forth, these, that's an extreme thing to do. You're kind of like, again, cutting away, and I said this, you know, about half an hour ago, you're cutting away all the other attributes and focusing solely on one thing. And, I mean, a lot of people just become very bored with that anyway. So, I mean, it really is kind of a special type of person who can actually endure that type of monotony, if you want to call it, for year after year after year anyway. So I think within a couple of years of starting to do any sort of exercise, most people kind of come, arrive at a kind of a realization whether or not they are cut out for kind of a special specializing into something to such a, you know, to such an extreme degree or not. Yeah. And you know what? It, uh, the whole idea of having fun um, needs to get more credit than it, than it gets. Mm. And uh, and above and beyond fun, and uh, unless anyone else has any other uh, observations, this might be uh, a good way to close out the show today. Um, there is value in personal accomplishment on a lot of levels. And uh, many years ago, I was attending a seminar. Uh, when, this was during the phase of my life when I was a martial arts instructor and competitor. We were attending a seminar by a gentleman who was one of the very first uh, PKA kickboxing champions. His name was Bill Superfoot Wallace. And if anybody knows anything about karate or martial arts or, uh, or, or kickboxing, they'll recognize that name. And he was called Superfoot because he was insanely flexible. And uh, basically, he never kicked with his right leg and he never punched. All he used was his left leg and he only had three different kicks but he was so slick and so agile and so uh, uh, mobile that uh, even though you knew what leg he was going to use and you knew it was going to be one of three kicks, uh, you couldn't get past that leg. So he was called Bill Superfoot Wallace. But when I attended this seminar, Bill Wallace at that time I think was maybe 50 years old. And I don't know if he had hip replacement surgery at that time, but he has since, I believe, had double hip replacement surgery and the guy can hardly walk and everything else. But in any event, uh, during this seminar at one point, one of the, one of, one of, a karate instructor who was, uh, listening, uh, watching the seminar said, you know, um, was it, was it worth the toll? Was, was being a champion worth the toll that it's obviously taken on your body? And he goes, well, you know what, man? He goes, it's better to be a has been than a never was. So, uh, uh, that maybe summarizes yeah. how, how we think uh, those of us who are trying to pursue elite performance. That's true. I mean, the, the the only thing I'd add is that I think where a lot of people fall short is they get looking at just the goal and what they think they want, and they never realize that if you want to be anything but average, there's negatives you have to accept to any goal above average. Very if, true. You to, if you want to step above that average, you've got to give up something. So it takes a toll, and, yeah. I like it, you know. Something's gonna have a toll. So, and maybe, maybe we each give, uh, I don't know, two, three things that we'd uh, suggest for training for, for just health and longevity as a, you know, instead of elite, you know. Sure, being sure. The topic of the day. I mean, I'll start off, I guess I'd say warm up. You know, not enough people do that. And, um, warm up, have fun is number two, um, in what you do. If, if, if what you're doing, just you think it sucks, do something else. There's too many different things you can do. And uh, 
try a lot of things. I mean, don't be opposed to, to lifting really heavy things and go hike, go, you know, go swim. Mix it up a bit. Well, I'll go next. Um, I think one for me would be to, when you do engage in weight training, understand that um, oftentimes correcting form to, to, to within, you know, very slick margins of what would be considered perfect form negates the need to actually use hyper hyper loads as i was discussing earlier um you can make 315 on the squat if you can squat that feel like it's 500 pounds um also too i would say with phil too um trying to diversify and have fun with what you do um and three yeah um be a little bit easier on yourself as far as um when you're pushing yourself allow understand that the the rest is, is as much a part of, of your, your health regime or your performance regime as it is at actual training. So, you know, if you, if you work out hard, rest hard and eat well and, you know, cut yourself some slack when you're not in the gym, leave the gym. Yeah, good, well said. And I don't know if I have three uh, topics uh, or, or, or points here, but we'll see. But, uh, you know, uh, to pick up on what, what Phil said about warming up, I mean, boy, that's just so important. It's amazing when you get older and you have pain, you become a real master of getting warmed up. So uh, warm tissues are happy tissues, and, and you'll learn that either uh, either by uh, by default or by necessity. But uh, the one point I, I want to make is that, you know, monitor your physical performance over the months and over the years, and also monitor what I call your O rating, which is just something I use in, in my training journal. Basically, every time you do a workout, you uh, you give yourself a score from zero to five. Uh, zero meaning you have no orthopedic issues whatsoever, and five means that your orthopedic issues were such that you had to either uh, stop your workout or modify the workout based on pain. Uh, and, and so uh, if, if you uh, maybe five years ago were lifting X amount of weight and you had, uh, you know, a, you had a, maybe a two for an O rating and today the weights you're lifting are less and you're at a four, that's not a good trend. So, um, uh, so but, but you're not going to know unless you monitor this. So keep a training journal, monitor not only your performance, which uh, is how most people use their training journal, but try to monitor, even though maybe it's subjective uh, uh, a little bit, but monitor your uh, your impressions of pain um, and where that pain was, and then you can track both of those. And to me, you know, if your orthopedic rating stays stable but your performances are increasing, that's a good trend. Uh, but the opposite of that is not a good trend. So monitor yourself uh, both in terms of what you can do and what the cost of that is on your body, and I think you'll stay out of trouble by monitoring those two things. Great point. That's a good one. Well, I think that's it, guys. Uh, good show. Good show. Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. All right. Cheers. Later. Okay. Bye. Enjoy. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org Qualified exercise physiologists, 